Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. For more information about the church, you can visit us online at ToledoCalvary.org or follow us on social media at Toledo Calvary. We hope you enjoy and are challenged by today's message. Well, again, good morning, Calvary. So good to see you today, whether you're here in Auditorium 1, maybe you're joining us in Auditorium 2, or by way of television or the podcast or online. So glad that you're here today. Grab your Bibles with me, whether you have it in a print or a digital form. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 today. Matthew chapter 8 is where we will be. What are, if I asked you, um, moments that have defined your life? Because I think for all of us, we, we would have them. Maybe it's a graduation. Maybe it's childhood memories that you have, either good or bad. It could have been an accident, a decision you made about a job. It could have been a, a death or a birth. Maybe it was meeting your spouse. We've all had these moments of gains and losses in our life. So let, let's say we were going to do a little exercise. Let's say I gave you a piece of paper and I gave you about 10 minutes we're not going to do this, okay? Some of you are nervous as soon as you thought that there was an assignment today. We're not gonna do it. But if I gave you a piece of paper in about 10 minutes and I asked you, list some things, like the things that have defined your life, what would you write down? I would guess that some of them would be physical, maybe an accident or a bad decision, maybe a sports injury or something that physically has left you with some consequences, or maybe it would be something mental that you would write down, like something that, that, that is stuck in your head, words that were spoken, something someone did to you, consequences that have shaped who you are and even how you view yourself. It could be that some of the things you might put on that list of things that have kind of shaped your life would be relational, things that have defined your relationships even to these days, like the people that you are close to, the, the friendships that you value, or maybe even distant relationships that were once much healthier. Some of what you would write would probably be emotional, maybe, maybe places where you have some remorse or even some shame, or, or maybe it's places where you're, you're looking and going, man, I'm so satisfied with that decision. That's a part of my pride and joy. And I would guess that for all of us, ultimately, some of the things that we would write down would be spiritual. They'd be things that would have to do with our church background, choices that we've made in our spiritual lives, and and ultimately, the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And if you took that list, and if you looked through it, and if you made some notes in it, and you watched it, you could probably come to at least some more things that would even jump off that list, and you would say, because of that, as a result of that, my life has never been the same. And we will all have those moments, those experiences, that when we have it, they define our lives for the rest of our lives. We've taken about a two-month break, and we're, we're jumping back into the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew, if you're not familiar with it, is one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, they're like biographies of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. And we, we started a while back going through the gospel of Matthew. We, we left off in June where we wrapped up what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the most important ethical teaching in all of history and biblically such incredible teaching from Jesus. And what we're going to jump into now are chapters 8 and 9 as we move into this. You know, oftentimes when I, when I think of the Bible, 
Bible, especially think of the Gospels, I almost think of them like they're just this collection of stories that, that Matthew just sat down and started writing what he was remembering, almost like he was just kind of thinking of it or writing it in order. And we forget that this, this Gospel is actually very well-developed literature, right? It's, it's actually been written with a purpose. We know that every word of Scripture was inspired by God, true? Ooh, that, we might have to go back to that one because that's pretty important. We know that every word written in scripture was inspired by God, true? Good, good, this book is more than just a book. But we also sometimes forget that there was a strategy to the whole thing, right? So we've just been given in five, six, and seven some of the most important ethical teaching, maybe the most important ethical teaching of all time. In chapter 10, Jesus is gonna commission his disciples to go out. When we get there, that's gonna be really special to see how that impacts our lives. But right here in chapter eight and nine, are some of the most iconic stories in the New Testament. If you grew up going to Sunday school, we're gonna come back to some of the stories that you can go, oh, I remember that, I've read this, I know this story. And every single one of the ones we're gonna look at has one purpose, to show us who Jesus is, to show us the authority that he has, and to remind us that if you experience in your life a touch from Jesus, you're never the same. It changes your life forever. So today we're going to look at just the first four verses of Matthew chapter eight, short story packed with meaning. We're going to jump into this and see, we're just going to walk through it verse by verse. Let's see what the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Matthew chapter eight, verse one. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, and you remember we, Matthew five, six, and seven, we just talked about what he was doing up on the mountain. He was preaching the sermon on the Oh, there you go, yeah, <laughs> fairly close. All right, it says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So, so we've taken a two-month break between chapter seven and eight. Jesus didn't, <laughs> right? He came down the mountain. There are crowds there. There are people who are coming to hear and see what he's doing, and here's what we get in verse two. A man with leprosy, came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. When we talk about leprosy, for those of us in Toledo in the 21st century, we don't have a lot of familiarity. It's not necessarily something that we worry about in this part of the world, in this kind of era of time. And yet, for centuries and millennia, leprosy, many believe, is one of the oldest diseases, one of the oldest physical ailments to hit humanity. Many people um, don't realize that it's still widespread in much of the world. And although we now have, through antibiotics and medicine, ways by which it can mostly be cured and it's not as contagious as once feared, not as widespread, it is still, even today, a life-threatening illness in many parts of the world. And it's good for us, if we're gonna, if we're gonna look at this story to really understand what do we mean when we just say leprosy. In my mind, it's easy to just kind of think of someone with spots. Anybody else? Right, that was, that was the, probably the picture you got in the Bible storybook. But it goes a little more interesting than that. Let's talk for just a moment about the physical side of leprosy. Leprosy, or it's often referred to as Hansen's disease based on the individual who first kind of diagnosed the cause of it, is a physical disease that attacks the nerve system. What happens is your nerves are affected and the victim can no longer feel pain. So as a result, they do things that lead to infection easily, which then progresses to the degeneration of tissues, organs, and limbs to the point where limbs become deformed 
and then eventually fall off. Leprosy is physically brutal. Now we're gonna see that as we talk about this some more, but I, I would propose to you that we often think of sickness as just something physical. This goes a whole lot beyond that. Leprosy was not just something that, say, this man experienced physically. It also had a huge mental impact on his life. Here's why. Because if you are a Jewish person who has leprosy in the first century, the Jewish law would require that when you stepped out, you would have to, if if someone approached you or you were going to approach someone, you would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Like if anybody else was coming near you, you you round a corner and there's a group of people standing there, you gotta yell, unclean. To even touch a leper would make you ceremonially, in, in the Jewish society, unclean at that point. Now not only is that just kind of this crazy factor, imagine this with me if you will, if you're the leper and every time you see another human being, you have to yell, unclean, about yourself. Do you think that would start to mess with your head, yes or no? It's going to change the way you think about yourself. So this disease affects you physically. This disease affects you mentally. Think about how it's going to affect you relationally, right? Because a leper's life is one of humiliation and isolation. You're ostracized from society. If you were out at all, it was required that when you were a leper, you would have to take on a disheveled appearance, Like if you had been into fashion, if you were an influencer in the first century, you you couldn't dress like you would want to. You had to take on a physical look that showed that you were disheveled, that showed that you were unclean. They were typically beggars. There was little else they could do. And then the, the rabbis in that time kept up in the laws. and They kept adding things to what lepers could or couldn't do. If a leper stuck their head into a home, like just peeked their head into a window or a door, that house was unclean. If you saw a leper walking down the street and you greeted them, that was illegal. You were not even allowed to greet a leper. There was a law that said that there had to be a distance of 100 cubits. A cubit was about the length of your forearm. There had to be 100 cubits between you and a leper if they were upwind. Josephus, who was the kind of the famed historian of the first century, said that lepers were treated, here's a quote, as if they were, in effect, dead men. Which means that if you are diagnosed as a leper, you can't stay at home. You can't be with your spouse. You can't be there to raise your kids. You can't do your job anymore. You you can't go visit your mom and dad anymore. Like everything about your life, you have to leave. They they have these areas that often we, we might refer to as a leper colony. Have you ever heard that? where the only people you were allowed to really be around were the same people who had the same death sentence that you had. That's gonna affect your relationships. But I don't think it was just physical and mental and relational. There had to be an emotional side to all of this, right? That had to weigh so deeply. And and some of it had to come from the, the, the physical condition that they had. Dr. Paul Brand was a physician and a missionary. He had grown up in India and then for decades served as a a doctor who treated lepers in India. And uh, he's written some interesting books, beautifully and wonderfully made. Uh, 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 Pain, which is a a gift from God. uh, The Gift of Pain, I think is the title of the book. Um, Has written some books. Let me read you something that he says about leprosy. He's known for being one of the individuals who helped to determine 
why leprosy was so dangerous. And here's what he found out. He said, through study and the results that he saw, he came to this interesting conclusion that the horrible results of the disease came about because leprosy patients had lost the sense of pain. People thought it was like a flesh-devouring fungus when actually it attacked a single type of cell, a nerve cell, that caused people to lose the sense of pain. The gradual loss of the sense of pain leads to the misuse of those body parts most dependent on pain's protection. So let me give you some examples that Dr. Brand gives. He says, a person uses a hammer with a splintery handle, does not feel the pain, and an infection flares up. Another steps off a curve, sprinting an ankle, and obviously keeps walking. Another loses use of the nerve that triggers the eyelid to blink every few seconds for lubricating moisture. The eye dries out, and the person becomes blind. Do you see what's happening here? They lose their sense of pain. With that, there's these consequences that come not just physically, but you can imagine physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally. This this is something quite devastating that ultimately is going to lead to quite a spiritual impact in their lives. The Jews abhorred leprosy, not just because of the disease that it was, but because they believed that if you were a leper, you were ceremonially unclean. If you touched a leper, you would become unclean. The leper was believed to have been cursed by God, and throughout Jewish literature, healings were rare. Outside of just a couple instances in the Old Testament, if you got leprosy, it was just assumed it it was all over. The only hope was that in the Messianic age, when the Messiah would come, are you familiar with that idea of the Messiah? The Jews believed that someone was gonna come and save them. The only hope was this, that in the Messianic age, there would be no leprosy because nothing is too powerful for the Messiah. So when you read this, and you just read that it says that a leper came to Jesus, it's easy for us to just say, oh, leprosy, he had a disease. This disease, maybe more so than anything else you're gonna see in scripture, impacted every other part of his life. It affected him, and let me me just make a little list so we can review this real quick. The leper, leper is going to suffer spiritually, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and physically, right? Isn't that what you're gonna see? That's how this leper suffers. And so I think it's really interesting that Matthew places this, that this story happens right here in the Gospels because it fits really well because we've just wrapped up Jesus' teaching where he talked about what life would be like in his kingdom. And before we get into this section where Jesus sends people out, as he starts to tell about how powerful Jesus really is, what we get in just these four verses is a loud introduction to who Jesus is Because leprosy isn't just another disease. Like, think about this. If if you're blind and your sight is restored, we use the word you were healed. If you are deaf and your hearing is restored, we use the word you were healed. If you can't walk and you can walk, then you are healed. But if you are a leper, we don't use the word healed. We say that the leper was cleansed. Even the whole description of what happens in our lives, we, we change how we think about that here when we look at this. And I don't wanna stretch this too far, but leprosy, and I think as scripture and life backs this up, becomes this incredible metaphor here for the way that sin affects each one of us, for the way that sin works in our lives, the way that sin comes and destroys. 
And in the same way that leprosy affects the leper, I'd say that sin affects the sinner. And when I say sinner, I just want to make sure I don't let anyone off the hook. That's all of us, right? <laughs> right? We all live in a broken world. Romans chapter 3 says that there is none righteous, not even one. Remember when we talked last week about the person in the distant country? Do you remember that? We've all been there. Even the person who sits in church every Sunday knows what it's like to deal with the effects of sin in the world. Let's talk about a few of them. There are physical effects to sin. Isn't that true? I mean, let's just, we live in a broken world. So if you've looked at the headlines at all, you can tell that we live in a world that's filled with conflict. We live in a world that's filled with division and with anger and with hate. And just this last week, you can see headlines about hurricanes and earthquakes, right? Because <laughs> we live in a broken world. Have you seen this new word, hurricane? Has anybody heard this? I heard it the other day. A hurricane is the worst thing that could happen to you. Like if a hurricane and an earthquake hit you at the same time. I thought that was called Monday. It's called hurricane, <laughs> Right? But some of you know the physical effects of sin in your body because of disease, because of challenges that you physically have. And some of those we've even brought on ourselves. Sleep disturbance from stress, substance abuse, fatigue, even hard living has left us with physical consequences because that's what sin does, but not just physically. I think it's safe for us to say there's also mental consequences because of sin. Those of us that have self-esteem issues because of words that were spoken to us, challenges we have because of things that were done to us, experiences that we've happened that, that, that have somehow been stuck in our brain the way that we see ourselves, not just in the past, but even today. I'd also go on to say that there are relational consequences and challenges because of sin. There's trust issues there's communication difficulties. There's a loss of respect. There's isolation. There's conflict. Some of us can point directly to relationships in our lives that at one point were healthy, but because of whatever reason in our sinful world or our sinful choices or the choices of someone else, we then find ourselves in a place where our lives are affected because of sin in a relational way. True? And you can take that emotionally as well. Some of us know what it's like to have guilt and shame and remorse and anxiety because of the emotional consequences of sin and the way that it affects our lives. And ultimately, it brings us to the spiritual ones. How spiritually in our lives, what does the Bible tell us? Just read through the, the, the book of Romans. The Bible tells us that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It tells us that all of us are not righteous. It tells us that if we've all sinned, that the wages of sin is, anybody? <laughs> Death. That's a pretty stark consequence. Now, I don't want to stretch this metaphor too far, but I think that this story is here in this place and as a reminder, as we begin to talk about the power of Jesus to change your life in a way where you will never be the same, that this story about the leper is more than just somebody being touched so they can physically be healed. It's a reminder that Jesus has power over every area of our lives, and it's good for us to be reminded that the disease of sin is physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually destructive in our lives. 
in all those ways, sin can be destructive in our lives. And leprosy gives to us this, this I think, powerful metaphor to consider this. Now, let's, let's just be honest. When we talk about these things, and especially if any of those, the physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, kind of resonate in some way with you, and you go, yeah, that, I, I know the effects of that in my life. Look, I know that for many of us, it's, it's not because we went looking for it. Like, I don't think this guy woke up one day and said, you know, I hope I get leprosy today. And it's the same thing on our part. Many times, the reason that sin has affected us is because in one way or another, we've been deceived. Isn't that true? We've, we've listened to voices, we've bought into ideas that in the end we realized did not deliver what we thought they promised. I'll give you just a, 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 an interesting illustration that made me think of this. Just this week in Washington State, there were these four guys that decided to steal a car. And so in the process, the police you know, caught up to them. There was a chase and they were chasing the car and, and they put down one of those stop strips. All four tires popped. These guys kept trying to go. They decided to, to pull over. They ditched the car and all four guys go running into the woods. Well, the police now go chasing after them, but they're not exactly sure where they are. And so one of the police officers got a good idea and he yells into the woods. He yells, you need to come out before we set loose the canine. They did not have a canine. There was no dog with them. But if you go online, there's body cam footage. This is genius. The police officer yells, we're going to let loose the canine. And another police officer goes, <laughs> true story, it's in the news. It's quiet for a minute. And the guy yells out another warning and you hear the police officer go, <laughs> at which point one of the guys comes walking out of the woods followed by three more, and they said, when we heard the dog, we knew it was all over. <laughs> now, genius policing, but I thought to myself, how many times have I heard things, promises made, that I thought were real? I bought into things because they seemed real in the moment, only to find out later I was only being deceived. Anybody? That's the devastating effect of sin in our lives. And again, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna take this too, too far, but, but can I show you some other things? I'm, I'm reading about leprosy. I kind of fell into, anybody ever go down a rabbit hole? <laughs> like, I, I kind of I got into this, and I heard this, this line that one of the commentaries used when they were describing this to say that, that the leper was like a dead man walking because they've lost purpose. What's the purpose in their lives? Because physically and mentally and relationally and emotionally and physically, it's all gone. Spiritually, their purpose is, is gone. And Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Matthew, says this. The leper is a physical illustration of the heart of every human being. If for a moment we could see a visible incarnation of ourselves apart from the cleansing work of Christ, we would see ourselves as the walking dead Forms dead in their trespasses and sins. Forms trying to cover themselves with filthy rags. So, so see this. Without the saving work of Jesus in our lives, we are living life as the walking dead. Agreed? Our lives lose purpose and they lose meaning. Look, some of you may have had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've even come to church every Sunday. But you wonder if life has any meaning. I was talking with a friend recently who said, 
all the purpose my life had in 2019 got deleted in 2020, and I've had a hard time finding purpose ever since. Maybe in one of those ways that we've talked about, you've had your life challenged in your worth and in your value, and you would say, yeah, some days I do feel like the walking dead. There there was another line when I was reading that that really just kind of captured me when I read about it. Dr. Brand, this this doctor who kind of figured these things out that served lepers for years, he talked about this and he said that the disease, he, he called it a painless hell for those that have it. And he and, and, and went on to read, the poor man Jesus met as he came down the mountain had not been able to feel for years. Man, that hit me. Because some of us can relate to that, where we would go in an area of our lives, or maybe just our lives in, in, in general, feels like we've lost all feeling, that we haven't been able to really feel like we're alive. For some of us, it has been a long time since we have felt alive. Now, there may be some explanations for that. For some of us, it could simply be that we, we've not come to a life-saving, changing relationship with Jesus Christ yet. Once you know Jesus as your savior, the one who forgives you, and you know Jesus as your Lord, the one who gives you purpose, you become alive in a way like you never have before, true? And for some of you, I know this for a fact, before this service is over, your life could be changed by simply just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And trusting him with your eternity, trusting him with your today, and letting him bring life and forgiveness from your sins. Like, I I know that's true. There's another category, though, of some people who you say, well, I just just don't, don't feel anything. Or maybe this area of my life just feels dead. And for some of you, you no longer feel pain in a certain area of your life because that area of your life, you've not only kept from other people, you've even kept it from Jesus. Like, you say you follow Jesus, but there's that one part, that one attitude, that that one hurt you continue to nurse, that one secret sin you hold on to, that the place where you haven't felt pain is the pain of conviction. And every time the Holy Spirit tries to help you and, and go, hey, maybe that's not right, you've just become more and more numb to it to the point that some of those nerves of conviction you've let die. And if you're not careful, that place where you have no feeling could end up being devastating in your life. Does that make sense? Like, in reality, pain's a gift, isn't it? Like, if, if you touch something hot, it's no fun, but it tells you get away, because if you leave your hand on what's hot, what's gonna happen? Well, the devastating effects that have affected the lepers. And for some of you, just to be honest, you love Jesus and honestly, you, you've, you've tried to be open and surrendered, but there's been a season of your life where you've taken hits and twists and turns that you never saw coming. This guy didn't go looking for leprosy. It caught up with him. And some of you have walked through losses and disappointments. You've been through stuff physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, that you didn't ask for, but somewhere inside it's left you without much feeling. Does that make sense? I I, I couldn't help but, and and some of you will, will know this, I couldn't help but singing in my head when I thought about this, that great hymn of the church. Do you know that great hymn of the church, Desperado by the Eagles? Do you know that? 
Do you know that song? I don't don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this in church, but there's a line in there that always gets me where it says, you're losing all your highs and lows. Ain't it funny how the feeling goes away? Some of you, that's gonna be in your head all day. (laughs) And others of you have listened to that song and went, I'm the desperado. Like, you, you know that feeling. I think of one guy in particular I can still see his face sitting across from me years ago. And he said, look, I, I love Jesus, but I hate my job. And I got things going on in my life that nobody else knows about. And my marriage is a disappointment. And I feel like I have no purpose. And I just, some days, I just don't feel anything at all. And for some of us, That's not just a story about some guy. That's a reality. Were you hoping to be cheered up today? There's better news. Can we move on to the the good news? Matthew chapter eight, verse two. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love that line, if you are willing. Now, you gotta imagine, this guy, it's a bold move to just come up to Jesus. And we're not sure where the crowds were, we're not sure the whole story, but we gotta imagine he went, unclean, unclean. You had probably had people who came to try to protect Jesus, you probably had people who were shooing him away, you probably had people, other lepers saying, hey dude, get out. But this guy, it's, it's interesting, but he doesn't make a power move, does he? Did you, did, you, did you see physically what he did? It said when he came, he knelt before Jesus. And he said, opening line, if you are willing, so many times when we've, when we've been hurt physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, all those things we've talked about, our natural response is to push and fight back, isn't it? But what did this guy do? He put himself in a place of humility because he knew who Jesus was. And can I tell you this? Healing begins with humility. Like if you, if you need a touch from Jesus, if you look at the things we've talked about today and said, I need, I need something in my life, know that that healing begins with humility, with recognizing that I can't do this on my own, that I'm not the one with all the answers, that I know that what I truly need is a healer. How many times do we think we can just fix it by ourselves? Like I'll, give, I'll give you an example. The story recently of a guy in Florida. Aren't they always in Florida? Guy in Florida, some people saw that what he was doing on the beach, called the authorities. The authorities came to see what he was doing. This is what they saw. Here's a picture of the watercraft that he built. It's got all those buoys on the outside. He, he literally built like a human hamster wheel, right? It's not, it's not bad looking. If that was on your pond, I might go out in it. He said to the authorities, they said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going out in my boat and I'm going to London, that's a bad idea, right? This is, this is hurricane season, right? And this guy says, I'm going to London. They said, and there's, there's laws where they can say this, your watercraft is not safe. You can't. He's fought them in all these different ways. He's done things like this before. It, it's a sad story because cl- clearly he's not quite thinking right. But I read that and I thought two things. One, no, I'm not doing that. And two, how many times do I? How many times do I go, I got this? I'll take care of this. I got this figured out. And I try to fix the consequences of things that only Jesus can fix. 
Healing begins with humility. And so many of that times that humility has to start with this. I'm just a character in the story. You're the author. And so I put my trust in you. The other thing that you see when you look at this here is that this guy took the initiative and he said to Jesus, if you are willing, I know you can heal me. Healing is an expression of faith. And look, if you need a touch from Jesus in your life, I don't think it shows up because you just go, maybe you will, maybe you won't. If you want to, go ahead. I'm here, let's see what happens. At some point, there's an expression of faith to say, I believe that you can heal me. I believe that you can touch me. I believe that you can make me clean. I think there's a difference in, in like when you go to the doctor. Like I've gone to the doctor before when I just have a cold or something like this and you just kind of walk in and you're just like, hey, you got anything for me? Like I'm just, if you just throw an antibiotic at me or like I don't, my hopes aren't high here. I've raised a real low bar for you, doc. But I've gone with other attitudes. When my dad had cancer, when I had voice issues several years ago, I walked in differently then. And I said, if you can't, I don't know what I'll do. Because I put my faith in the fact that there was someone who could help me. And Jesus can help you. Do you believe that? I mean, this is, this is what takes us to the next part of the story. Look at verse three. Jesus reached out his hand. Pop quiz. You should touch a leper. True or false? Right? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, he was cleansed of the leprosy. Your long-winded pastor has talked too long already. So we're gonna run through verse three a little bit, but can I tell you this? Jesus is able to do anything. He is able to do anything. We, we took time on Wednesday night in our first Wednesday service, and if, if you've never been out to one of the first Wednesdays, I hope they're just special, special times. We talked about healing. We, we spent some time talking about what if Jesus doesn't heal when we pray for healing, and you can find that YouTube, Facebook, online, if you, if you wanna go back to that. And it's just, it's just good for us to know that there are times when our ideas of what is best are not the same as God's. Have you found that to be true? <laughs> like there are times when what I think is best is not necessarily the same as what God thinks is best. But I know this, and this is clear in scripture over and over again, that spiritual healing is God's priority. God's priority for you in every area of your life is that God brings spiritual healing to you, that he makes you clean, that he makes you new. Matthew chapter eight, verse three, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Who took the initiative there? Jesus did. Jesus reached out and touched the guy. The law said no, but love said yes. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. That's not unusual. That's the whole story of scripture. John chapter three, verse 16, you know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Are you thankful for that? But look at verse 17. For God, I think we focus on 16 and we forget the, the why of 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Paul helps us understand this in his letter to Titus. Look at this, Titus chapter three, verse three. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. That sounds kind of leprous, doesn't it? But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. 
not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Did you see where it says he washed us? He cleansed us. He doesn't just cleanse the leper physically, but one touch from Jesus, mentally, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, our lives can be changed and we will never be the same. Did you, did you hear earlier when we talked about the fact that in Jewish literature, when you, when you look, you don't see many places, you don't see many places where a leper is cleansed. There's a couple in the Old Testament. If you got leprosy, it was a death sentence, but there was a hope. There was a hope that when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, there'll, there'll be no more leprosy because nothing's too powerful the Messiah, True. Nothing is too powerful for him. One, one more verse and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Matthew chapter eight, verse four. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Here's a leper who used to have to walk around yelling, unclean, unclean. And now Jesus says, shh, don't say anything. I think people are gonna know You'll see this later in Matthew, and it comes up in the Gospel of Mark a lot, what's called the messianic secret, that there were times when Jesus said to people, don't tell them who I am, because then they were going to force him to be someone or do things that he never intended to do. So Jesus would say to them, don't tell them who I am. So when you read that sometimes, it's because he's not ready to go public yet. He's trying to keep a lid on things. It's called the messianic secret. This passage of Scripture is not that. We'll get to that later. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone because first you need to do something else. First you need to go tell the priest. Watch this, verse four. Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. Why is that important? Because if you had leprosy, it was the priest you would go to to be diagnosed. And the priest would either say, you are unclean, so basically, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, your life's over. Or the priest would say, you are clean, you can live. So Jesus wants to play by the rules. He wants to fulfill the law. So he says, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. I love this line. As a testimony to them. Our testimony is powerful, isn't it? When we tell our story, things are changing. But he wasn't supposed to go tell his story. I mean, he couldn't help but, he couldn't help but say, I was a leper and I'm not anymore. But Jesus was doing something else. He says, why don't you go show the priest that you were a leper and now you're clean. Do you remember what we said about the Messiah? We said that nothing is too powerful for the Messiah. And you know who knew that? The priests. And so Jesus said, Larry, I didn't tell you, his name was Larry the leper. It's in there, and uh, Jesus said, Larry, just trust me. I'm sorry if your name is Larry. Jesus said, Larry, go show yourselves to the priest because there's, there's nothing too powerful for the Messiah, and you let him know, fellas, the Messiah's here. He showed up. 
and he's going to change everything. Now, I don't know where you're at physically or mentally or relationally or emotionally or spiritually. I just know this, that there is nothing too powerful for the Messiah and that the Messiah is here. And just one touch from Jesus and your life is never the same. So would you stand with me, please? And the team is gonna come and lead us in a song that says that God is here and that he's touching our lives and that God is here and he's healing our hearts and that if you need that touch from him, he is here today to touch our lives. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at. I don't need to run through all those things again. But if you would just say in one way or another, Jesus, I need a touch from you today. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord in this room, watching on a screen somewhere, auditorium too. You, you know where you're at. You know what's going on. If you would just say, Jesus, I need a touch from you. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And would you right now just begin with humility and with faith to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need a touch from you. There's nothing too powerful for you. And I know that you are here. And as we sing these simple words to this song, would you just believe that God can touch you here today? As we sing this together, would you just sing it in faith? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I if you're watching this or listening to this somewhere else, just sing these words in faith. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. Sing that again. You are here. I worship you. need a touch from him. Ask him for it today. Would you touch you us? You are here. Healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. Touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you, you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, I'm way maker, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. 
something that resonated with you today and I know this for some of you what just happened in these next few months there's another way to explain it that you just sense the Lord's presence you sense to touch from him and isn't that a wonderful thing for others of you there may be moments where you just go I, I'm I'm reaching out Lord <laughs> I need a touch from you Lord I'm, I'm seeking you and can I encourage you I think we make a mistake sometimes and we think that we can only sense a touch from Jesus at 1360 Conant Street and it has to be on a Sunday between 10 and 11.30. And yet I know for a fact that Jesus can touch us in the kitchen and in our cars and kneeling by our bed and walking down the aisle in the grocery store. Look, I, I, have, I have sensed the presence of Jesus in some weird places. Anybody else? And I'm going to believe that some of you, that as you continue to ask him, for a healing touch, for a cleansing touch, for a touch of his presence in your life, that he's just gonna blindside you at the right place in the right time to bring healing to your life. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit's presence. Thanks for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I thank you for the ways that you let us know that even when we don't feel it, even when we lack purpose, you are the one who can touch our lives and bring light. Lord, for those of us that need a healing in, in a physical or a mental, in a relational or emotional or, or a spiritual way, Lord, we're giving those things to you today. Lord, would you bring life and healing? Would we know your help and favor? Lord, your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. One more time, can we thank God for his word today? Awesome, awesome, awesome.